Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Well, would you turn with me on this first Sunday of 2010, we're still in Hebrews, <laughs> to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. We've been teaching through verse by verse, sometimes word for word. And we sort of landed for a while in Hebrews 8, 6, which says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. Speaking of Jesus, our high priest, the God-man who's in heaven today, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant. Every high priest operated according to a covenant. But the old covenant is all that the world has ever known. But Jesus is our high priest forever who operates on a new and better covenant, built on better promises. It says, which has been enacted on better promises. Now, we launched off into a study of covenant because so many people can look at that verse and they think they understand it, but they don't even grasp what a covenant is. And so today we're in part five of a real study that we sort of launched into on covenant. We've looked so far at the lost language of covenant. We've looked at God's faithfulness to covenant. We've looked at the oneness of covenant, the entering into that oneness. We've looked at the protection of, co of covenant. And today we're going to be looking at accountability and covenant. And, and we're going to get into it. We're not going to finish covering it at all today. Now here's the question we're going to start off with. Going to, we have selected scriptures we're going to be looking at today. Does God have the right to tell me what to do and what not to do? Am I responsible to God for my actions as a believer? Is there any accountability to living the Christian life under the covenant of grace? Now, Wayne, why would you ask that? Because I've been there, and I know you've been there, when I acted on my own and was totally negligent of any responsibility that I had under covenant. In 2009, did any of you have the same experience that I had? You acted outside of his lordship in your life. Well, most all of us have been there. All of us have, but we'll leave that alone right now. We've been looking at the first part of the covenant ritual. As we find it in Scripture, we know that there was a secular covenant, but we're only looking at the parts we find in Scripture. We, we have seen that the first part of covenant deals with identity. In every culture, it does. God reached into human language, pulled a word out that he, he wanted to use to help us understand the relationship He wanted with us. Covenant is in every tribe, it's in every nation, it's everywhere you go, and has been all out, all, all throughout we find that the first part was identity. We've seen that the first thing they would do would be to exchange robes. Now, everybody loves this part because it talks about from God to us. We see that the exchange of robes had to do with the possessions. What's yours is mine. What's mine is yours. And the new covenant that we're in with the Lord Jesus, isn't it awesome? It's, it's not a changed life. It's an exchange life. All that we're not for all that He is. But we also see that the exchange of weapons was a part of this identity, weapons and belts. And that had to do with protecting your covenant partner. 
when this exchange was made, when they would exchange belts, the covenant partner was saying, I defend you at all costs. I will defend you at all costs. Now, we saw this last time in chapters 18 through 20, how Jonathan defended David at risk of his own life. In the new covenant, we have no right to defend ourselves. We defend the new garment that we have put on. Everything we do must defend him. Everything we do must speak of him. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 3 and 4 one more time. I want you to turn there with me. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 3 and 4. Now, this is the covenant Jonathan entered into with David. It says in verse 3 of 1 Samuel 18, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped away him, him, stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. See that change of robes. With his armor including his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, there's something you need to recognize in this covenant that's actually a, a beautiful illustration, probably not meant to be, but it, it is to me. Since David is not mentioned in here as reciprocal of, of this covenant, then we have to look at this covenant as being unilateral by Jonathan. Jonathan entered into it for a reason. It doesn't say what David did or didn't do. So all we know that Jonathan unilaterally moved into covenant with David. Apparently, Jonathan had heard what Samuel had said to Saul. Samuel told Saul that his kingdom would not endure. And for that reason, then Jonathan saw in David the new hope for Israel. He saw the new king in David. He covenanted with him at the risk of his own life. This is very interesting because it's the same way God did with Abraham in the covenant of grace. It was unilateral. He put Abraham to sleep, and it was God who entered into covenant there and gave the covenant to Abraham. But what we're interested in is not the details of that. What we're interested in is the language of it that helps us understand better our relationship with Christ. Now, they would exchange belts. We need to understand what that says as, we, as we're sort of reviewing but bringing us into the accountability of covenant. There was a type of belt that they would wear that was metal and would be worn into battle, but it was much more for the protection of the one who was wearing it, to protect this midsection right here. It was, it was metal, and therefore when a sword would hit it or a knife would hit it, it would glance off. But that's not the belt we're talking about. The belt that we're talking about was what held the weapons, and it was, and it was the one that supported and enabled the one who was in combat. Now, for instance, in 2 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 8, when they were at the large stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet with them. And Joab was dressed in his military attire, and over it was a belt with a sword in its sheath fastened at his waist. And that's what we're talking about here. The belt also reflected strength. As we see in Job chapter 12 and verse 21, speaking of God, he pours contempt on nobles and loosens, in other words, takes away the strength, the belt of the strong. The point is that the, the exchange of the belt and covenant would be saying, I will defend you, I will support you, I will enable you as my covenant partner. Now, in the new covenant, God doesn't need our ability since it's unilateral. He doesn't need our ability. He doesn't really need our protection, although we do protect his name and we do defend his name by the way we live yielded to him. What he wants out of us, he, what he requires out of us is not our ability, but our availability unto him. He gives us his strength to enable us, and he is our defense as we yield to him. 
to the degree that I'm willing to yield to him, we, we begin to receive from the other side. It's not just about our responsibility when it comes to living this life in covenant. It's about our response to his ability. That's a huge difference of what an ordinary covenant would be. This is a new covenant built on better promises. For instance, let me just give you an illustration of what I'm saying. In Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. Now that first I can do is iskuo, and it refers to the strength one has to accomplish a task. Now if you left out the last part of the verse, then we'd be saying, we can do it, we can do it, we can do it, we can't. I used to be a member. Actually, they didn't know me as a member. They thought I was a guest, I think, at a uh, spa. You know, these health spas. <laughs> I'm a member of one now. I think I'm the best contributor they have that they don't even know who I am because I rarely go. And I know, I need to go. I know, I need to go. But we used to walk in there, and I'd never been to a spa before in all of my life. I'd never been around these muscle-bound human beings. And we walked in the first time, and we walked into the, to the locker room. We were asking where all the weights were and what we did. And this one guy, he was standing there brushing his hair. You ought to watch him brush his hair. Was, I mean, they, were, they would flex while they were brushing their hair. And we, we'd say, well, where do we go to work out? And he'd go. You know, these guys, they could do it. He could do it. They, you could tell this old boy was proud of the way he looked and of his strength. And you see, some believers are that arrogant. I love it when the disciples said, Lord Jesus, how are we going to do the works of God? How can we do the works of God? And he said, only one way. Oh, hot dog, get your pencil and paper out. And he said, you believe in me and you keep on believing me. This is the work of God. How can we reach Albuquerque for Jesus? You can't believe him. He can reach Albuquerque for Jesus. How can we have revival in the church? You can't. He can bring it as you yield to him. And so that's, Philippians helps us to understand the last part of the verse. The last part of the verse, it shows us that that strength it rests upon the ability that Christ gives us. The phrase, who strengthens me, is in dunamao. And it means not only that he gives us ability to do it, but that he does it in such a way that everybody can see that it's not of us, it's of him. So we must learn to respond to his ability. In our relationships, Philippians 4, 1, 2, and 3, you can always count on some relationship being wrong. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord. My beloved, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion. I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So in relationships, he says, listen, depend on that strength to enable you so that relationships can be solved and relationships can be reconciled. In every circumstance, we can rejoice. He says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Keep on rejoicing no matter what's going on in your life. Not in your circumstance, but in the Lord Jesus who's in charge of your circumstance. Not to retaliate when you're offended by someone. That's the first reflex I've had. It's just, wait a minute, hold it, say that again. And God says, no, that's not the way you do it. When you're depending on his strength, he enables you to be gentle in spirit. He says, let your gentle spirit, your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you walking in covenant this morning? Yes, I'm in covenant, Wayne, but are you walking in covenant? 
Are you, are, what are your relationships like this morning? Who's willing to drop the anchor to make it like God wants it to be? Who's willing to defend His character and not just your rights? You see, all of these things are a part of living it out day by day. So the exchange of belts was a resolve to give strength to and protect and enable the other in covenant relationship. But now listen, all of this first part, which is even deepened by the fact that they exchanged names. They exchanged names. All of this has to do with who we are in Christ. Acts eleven twenty six says, And when he, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called what? Christians. Christians in Antioch. He gave us his name. Just like he gave Abram his name in chapter 17 of Genesis. Abraham, the breath, the Yahweh sound. And Sarai became Sarah because God had entered into covenant with them. And this is all about covenant oneness. This is all about exchanging of identity and finding our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. But now listen to me. The truth of who we are in Christ doesn't do us any practical good whatsoever unless we're living in the truth of whose we are in Christ. Everybody wants to know who we are in Christ. They walk around confessing it. You don't confess it, you pursue it. In other words, whose you are in Christ. There comes the accountability. There's a sobering accountability to this thing called covenant. It's not only about from God to us, but there is a response that we are to make back to Him. Let me help you. In Hebrews 8, 6, when he says he has obtained a better covenant, the word covenant is diatheke. That's not the word used for a marriage con uh, covenant. This is a different word. Diatheke is a will, and it only becomes effective after the one who made it dies. In other words, the terms are prefixed. In other words, you can't change them. If you change them, it automatically nullifies your ever being in covenant to begin with. And so what we're seeing here is that when you enter into covenant with God, you enter in on His terms, not on your terms. And you can't change those terms. And He has rights over you when you enter into this covenant. It was unilateral. And so when we enter into it, it's a covenant of grace, yes. And, and we're going to see more and more of those aspects. But it also demands accountability. It demands it. Let me start trying to explain the seriousness of covenant as we just get into it. We're going to wade in a little bit this morning. I'm only going to see one point. You've never heard me do, I don't think, but one point. It's usually more than that, but just one today. The binding, the first thing we're going to look at in our accountability and covenant, the binding relationship of covenant. You see, when you enter into covenant with God, now you're bound together, and it's on His terms, not your terms. But by the way, they're good terms. You're not going to lose your salvation. But there is a responsibility. There is an accountability that's in that covenant. When we enter into covenant, with our Lord Jesus, we lose our right to independent living. It's a newness of life. It, it, we're bound to Christ, our covenant partner. That's why everything's new. It's the newness of life. We're going to be held accountable in our covenant relationship to live up under His Lordship. 
There are many people who try to separate lordship and make it happen down the road somewhere. My Bible says when you confess him as Lord, he's Lord from day one. And if you don't understand covenant, perhaps you didn't understand salvation. You enter into a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a very binding thing because we enter on his terms. We commit, really, to a way that God has for us to live his way, not ours. You see, Jesus said, I am the way. In fact, in the old covenant, it was so binding. They understood the terms of covenant. We don't understand that today. Our language has lost it. We don't understand how binding this covenant was. It was understood in the old covenant that death was the penalty of breaking covenant. Death. I mean, God had the right to take one's life physically if they broke the covenant. Now, he still does because he's God. But they understood that in covenant. I smile at those who think that God was some kind of mean tyrant in the Old Testament. No, he just understood covenant. You see, in the covenant ritual, when the animals were slain and they were halved, and there was a way made called the path of, of death, the way of death, the path of blood, the two entering into covenant, standing between those bloody halves, What they said they would do was point to that animal that's dead and say, if I ever break this covenant, do this to me. They understood that death was the penalty of breaking covenant. Covenant was and covenant is very serious when you come to call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus said over and over, count the cost before you do anything. I want to ask people sometimes, did you enter into covenant oneness with God or did you just buy a cheap insurance policy? You see, Jesus said, what, would, what man would build a building that he doesn't count the cost first? Covenant explains why God had the right to condemn all mankind under the old covenant of law, which were the Ten Commandments. He had, a, he had the right to, to kill them. He had the right because death was the penalty of breaking covenant. We still don't seem to understand its seriousness today. Israel entered into covenant with God in Exodus 24. And I want you to turn there with me. Exodus chapter 24. And I want to read to you what happened here. This is the old covenant. This is the covenant of law. And the people understood they were entering into a covenant with God. And they promised him they would do all that he told them to do. And they broke it immediately, even before Moses came down. It says in verse 1 of Exodus 24, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice. Listen to this. All the words which the Lord has spoken. Here's their vow right here, vows of covenant. He says, has, has, has spoken, we will do. They vowed to do what God said. That's covenant language. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar. Remember, there has to be a sacrifice before covenant can be entered into. He sent young men of the sons of Israel. They offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Now watch, watch verse 6. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then, verse 7, he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
we will be obedient. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. You see, the people bound themselves to God. And then at that point, he has all rights to rule over them. He had the right to put them to death because death was the penalty of breaking covenant. God is a loving God. But he understood covenant. Death was the penalty of breaking covenant. And covenant requires accountability. Listen to the words of Jeremiah. This is when Israel was going astray. This is when, when the, Judah was taken into captivity in Babylon. But listen to what Jeremiah says in f- verse 5 through 9. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself. Remember, Jeremiah was a prophet simply relaying what God was saying. He said, declares the Lord that this house will become a desolation. For thus says the Lord concerning the house of the king of Judah, you're like Gilead to me, like the summit of Lebanon. Yet, most assuredly, I will make you like a wilderness, like cities which are not inhabited. For I will set apart destroyers against you, each with his weapons, and they will cut down your choicest cedars and throw them on the fire. Many nations will pass by this city. They will say to one another, listen, why has the Lord done this to this great city? And he answers, verse 9, then they will answer, because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, their God, and they bowed down to other gods and served them. How could God do that? He simply understood the seriousness of covenant, which we do not understand in the 21st century. Aren't you glad that we're a part of a better covenant than that one? You see, that's, that's so important for us to begin to grasp. This new covenant is built on better promises. Death is not the result of breaking the covenant. Thank God for his grace and thank God for his mercy. Are there consequences? Yes, but we're of a better covenant. But you have to understand the seriousness of a covenant relationship. Christianity is a covenant relationship. Even though it's a covenant of grace, it still has the terms prefixed. And as you enter in, there's no question, Jesus is Lord. And you enter in under that with that understanding. You come in understanding that now you're going to receive him into your heart. He is the way, not only to God in salvation, but through sanctification. It's only as we yield to him. That's why Colossians 2, 6 says, As you therefore have received him, so walk you in him. Nothing changes. He is Lord from the beginning all the way through. We confess Christ as our Lord when we enter into covenant with him. So here's my question that I started the message with. Does God, do we believe that God has a right to tell us what to do? Well, we better. Because when we enter into covenant, it changes one's lifestyle because we've lost our right to independent living and have to learn to die to self. Romans chapter 12 is beautiful here in this understanding. It says in verse 1 and 2, therefore, after he talks about who God is and everything comes from him, he says, by the the mercy, he said, I urge you, my brethren, by the mercies of God, to do what? To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Worship hadn't got anything to do with what you sing if you don't have a life behind it. It doesn't matter your preference of music. God could care less. It's your life, whether or not it's lived and surrendered to Him. That's covenant living. He says, and do not be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into its mold, the system of this world. Don't think like them. Don't act like them. 
He says, but be transformed from the inside out, metamorphosis, by the renewing of your mind. Rip out the old way you used to think and start thinking the way he wants you to think. Why? Because I'm in covenant with him and the terms were prefixed and he is Lord and he's given me the word and my life now is different because I can't live independent of him anymore. So that you might prove or test for yourself what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. God has the right to dictate our lifestyle. I wished I could go back and give you a video of my Christian journey. You don't know me that well. I've told you many times, if you really knew me, you wouldn't come to hear me. But if I really knew you, I wouldn't bother coming to speak to you, so we're all in the same boat. When I got saved, I knew I had entered in. I knew I was saved. And I did something that a lot of Christians do. I went and started going to seminars. <laughs> and you get so much knowledge that you hadn't got a clue about. And all of a sudden, I went from ignorance to arrogance. I had an answer for everything. But I was not living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I had taken the covenant lightly. I didn't even understand the covenant. God began to start a work on my life. Now, don't worry. He is Lord, and he'll get us to that place because he wants us to enjoy him. That's what the new covenant is all about, his enabling, transforming grace. It's all about Christ living in us. The law says you can't do it. Grace says, I know you can't, but he can always said he would. It, it changes the whole dimension of how you live. One of the things in my life that I realized that perhaps wasn't under his terms was my bass fishing. Now, there's nothing wrong with bass fishing. Understand that. And don't you go home and say, uh-huh, I'm glad I don't bass fish. That's not it. But in my life, I lived, I lived and breathed and slept bass fishing. pH factor. What's the oxygen content? What's the, what's the, what's the heat? What's the temperature? 78 or, or 68 to 71 degrees. That's where the bass lay. Find a topographical map. Find out how deep the lake was at that particular degree. And then find every place on the whole lake that had that depth. And then go mark it and then go fish it. I, I studied that stuff. And there was one thing that I could do. That was an identity that I brought into salvation. I could catch a fish. And God began to start working on me. It's not about what you can do, Wayne. It's about what I can do. And he starts removing things in our life. Does God have a right to do that? Does he have a right? I was in youth work. I used to plan my retreats around places that had good places to fish. <laughs> now, God's forgiven me of that. I'd always pick a place that had a big lake, guys' place to fish. I remember one year I found a place in Lumberton, Mississippi. I was in Mississippi at the time. And they had a big, nice resort area type of thing, Holiday Inn, I think, owned it or somebody like that. And not far from King's Arrow Ranch, if you know anything about Campus Crusade, they have a great place there, five or six miles from there. Hillsdale Resort, I think, was the name of this place back then. I'm, I don't even know if it's there anymore. I got me a speaker so that I could uh, fish all week and still get paid for it. It was awesome. Have somebody else do the work. I had counselors to get with all the kids. Man, I had this thing set up. We got there that afternoon, and man, I couldn't wait. And when we got there, I, I put all the kids with their counselors so they could find their rooms and get set up. And I made sure everybody was taken care of, and I took off toward the lake with a friend of mine named Robert Fortenberry. We get down to the lake and get in the boat. And, oh, my goodness. By supper time, we had several bass over six pounds. And I'm thinking, God is in this week. <laughs> Next morning, we got up early to get out because if you're bass fish, you want to hit it early. Got out there early and we caught a few fish. And all of a sudden, it just turned off like you took a, a, a light switch and turned it off. And I'm thinking, 
that's not right. Something's wrong. That, I was thinking about it all morning long, and then it finally hit me. Oh, no. It's a full moon this week. Oh, to a bass fisherman. That just makes his blood run quicker. And I began to think, oh, man. We went to a, a sporting goods store that was near there, and we bought us all kinds of musky jitterbugs. Musky jitterbugs. They're great big plugs. They're not for bass, but they're huge. And it, they, you run them across the water at night, and when the full moon is out, you have to get a dark color like black, and you run them across the water, and they're joining. We go across the water, and a bass will come for four miles to hit that thing. And we just knew we were going to catch the world record that evening when we went fishing. Well, all day long, we just went through the motions. That night, we had to go to bed with the kids if you're going to, you know, be their leader. We went to bed at 1 o'clock, got up at 2 you know what I've discovered? It's an amazing thing what you will do to bow to the God of your life. It's an amazing thing and not even feel tired. We went out that morning and, I mean, that night and got, got down to the lake and we were getting into, ready to get into the boat and the night watchman drives up and he says, what are you all doing? Now that to me has got to be the dumbest question I've ever heard anybody ask. Have two rods in my hand and a tackle box. What do you think we're doing? Bow hunting? I mean, we're going bowling. I mean, I, what do you think we're doing? He said, you can't fish after, after dark. I said, what do you mean we can't fish? He said, the camp doesn't have insurance to cover you like that. You're going to have to wait till it's daybreak. What? I thought of several things, like putting him in a sack and tying a cinder block to it. But being the spiritual gentleman that we were, instead of going to bed, we sat underneath a street light and we looked through our tackle boxes and lied about fish we had missed and all this kind of stuff until we could see the lake and we figured that was daybreak and we went out and fished. Well, you know how camps are all day long, no sleep, one hour of sleep. Made me understand what it says in, and I think it's in Isaiah, we give our leftovers to God. It's about the way the 21st century is. All day long, camp, Bible study, frisbee, swimming. And it came time for the service that night. The other guy was speaking. And I remember walking in and my eyelids were so heavy I couldn't hardly hold them hold him, hold, hold him open. And you could put toothpicks in my eyes to hold them open. And I'm thinking, oh man. And I tried to rest my chin on my fist so that I could just get a little sleep and make people think I was praying. And I kept falling off the thing. He finished the service and I had not heard one single word that he had said. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God moved. He had really used this guy, full of the Spirit of God, and the, and the Spirit began to move. We saw kids we've been praying for for months get saved. We saw a move of God like I haven't seen in a long period of time. And suddenly, God showed me He didn't need me to do it. He could do it without me. And I remember getting down on my knees. I mean, you got to do something here. And I had to pray. And I got down on my knees beside a table. Nobody could hear me. It was between me and the Lord. But I said to Him, Lord, Lord. Bless these kids. Oh, Lord, move upon them. And God, it was almost like God said it verbally to me. Hey, Wayne, hey, dummy, do you think I might have something to say to you? And I'm thinking to myself, well, Lord, what is it you'd like to say? But by the way, Lord, I'd like to ask you something. I'm having trouble getting up in the morning and having my quiet time. Now, that was not the right thing to say. I began to realize when it's true prayer, it comes from God, it doesn't come from us. And it was almost like I could see the rejoicing in heaven. He was saying, is that right, Wayne? Is that right? Whoa, good for you. You just don't have, any, have time anymore, do you? Well, what do you need to do about that? And I was thinking, you know, Lord, my, I guess I can get up for bass fishing. I mean, this thing was coming very clear to me. I can get up for bass fishing, but I can't seem to get enough energy to do anything you want me to do. And it was like God said, well, what do you need to do? And I said, well, I could, I could give my stuff away, 
First of all, I said I could sell it, and that wasn't really good. I said, I can give it away. And it was almost like, don't ever say that if you don't want the Lord to answer you back. And he said, good for you. Good. That's a great idea, Wayne. Because it says in the, in the Scriptures that I withhold nothing good from those that are righteous. So if, go ahead and give it away. Do you believe me, Wayne, that I can put something better in its place? Do you really believe me? I said, well, God, who do you want me to give it to? And he told me, Robert Fortenberry. You have to know Robert Fortenberry. If he ever comes back in the States where I can get him here, I'll introduce you to him. He's in Botswana as a missionary right now. I was there when he got saved when he was 12 years old. I did not know what God was doing in his life. He liked to fish like I like to fish, and he wanted to make sure this didn't happen to him 20 years down the road. And he said, you give it to Robert. And I said, I started complaining, but Robert's got a bass boat. Robert's got more stuff than I've got. Why would I give it to Robert? I'll put it in the closet. I won't use it for six months. And it was like God said, yeah, that's right. Then we'll have to start this thing all over again. Give it to Robert. I'm thinking, that can't be God. I got up in front of all the kids. Man, God was moving. I said, listen, I want you all to all go out and get under a tree and just talk to the Lord and let God continue His work in your heart. Go with a counselor if you need to do that. I was trying to buy time. Everybody left the room. I was by myself. I'm standing there thinking, man, I've lost my mind that God would want me to give my fishing stuff to Robert. And somebody walked in the back door of the room. And you guessed it, Robert Fortenberry. And he walks right straight up to me, and I'm thinking, gulp. And he said, Wayne, I got under a tree, and I asked God to speak to me, but nothing was there, and I don't know. What. He said, I just have this impression that I need to come in and talk to you. You have anything to say to me? <laughs> How does God speak to you during the week? He draws me pictures and colors them so I can get it. And I said, Robert, I, I got something to say to you. Now, just shut up. So I gave him my two loose speed sticks, my ambassador fits 500 C's which they don't even, I don't think they even make them anymore. And Robert was looking at me like, what in the world? And I gave him an Umco tackle box with seven shelves on both sides loaded up. I had every worm that you knew, an artificial worm. I had every color, every weight. And I gave it to him. And he looked at me like, I said, just don't ask. Just don't even ask. I said, God told me to do this. By the way, I found out something. When you start seriously wanting to walk in covenant, your persecution will not come from the world. It'll come from the people in the church who can't live the same standard you're trying to live. The staff called me into their room and said, Oh, Wayne, I heard you gave up your bass fishing stuff. And one of them sarcastically said, You want me to give up my golf clubs? And I didn't say anything, but I thought it wouldn't hurt you. <laughs> I went home and God had changed my life. God had changed my life. He put a new want to in my heart that I didn't have before. One day, Diana called me from the church and, or from the house, and she said, Wayne, come home. And she cries. Dinah doesn't cry. When I, I cry at commercials, but Dinah doesn't cry. And I came home thinking something was wrong with the kids, and she said, Wayne, I've had this bitterness in my heart ever since we first got married with your fishing and your hunting and your sports and all the other goofy stuff that you do. But she said, Wayne, now that I've seen the change in your life, I've got to get the bitterness out of me. Will you forgive me? And we hugged, and that became the best friend I have on this earth. And God said, I will withhold nothing that is good to them that are righteous, but I have rights over you, Wayne. I have rights over you, and you are to be accountable to me to live so surrendered to my will. And if you're not going to believe me, then you've broken the terms I preset for covenant. You know, let me ask you a question. What's your bass fishing this morning? What's your bass fishing this morning? What is that area of your life that you say, God, if you even touch this right here, I'm not listening. It's something that 
Whatever it is, it's a part of you to the point that you just know that if you were God, you wouldn't take it away. What is your bass fishing this morning? The one who I thought was being so hard on me was doing nothing more than putting me under pressure to draw me back up under the covenant where I could enjoy him. He wants to enable me. He wants to defend me. He wants to protect me. But when I'm so hard-headed, I don't begin to understand that quite as clearly. He will withhold nothing that is good from those that are righteous. Years later, God put on a heart at a conference I was in to get rid of my television set. And I knew that couldn't be God because I was watching ball games at 1 o'clock in the morning of teams I didn't even know who they were and could have cared less who won. God wouldn't take my TV away from me. It began to gnaw on me. So one night I put it to the litmus test. Steve and Stephanie were little. Remember back, the, back in those days when Little House on the Prairie was on? Remember that? And the Little House on the Prairie was on. We was in a 900-square-foot house, a parsonage. And I loved it because I could reach them from any room. And had brand-new carpet. It was warm. Wintertime, 16 inches of snow outside. Fire was in the fireplace, a little bitty place about to cook us. And I walked over to the TV, and I said, Dinah was in the kitchen, and I said, Steve and Stephanie, do y'all want to watch television? <laughs> y'all want to watch Little House on the Prairie? Or do y'all want to turn it off and play games and, and, and share and talk about Jesus? <laughs> Little Stephen, you'd have loved him. He walked over and walked over that television set, popped that thing off right in the middle of Little House on the Prairie. He said, Daddy, I'd rather play games and I'd rather talk about Jesus. We started playing games like Hungry, Hungry Hippo. You ever played that? And that little thing pops around that thing. And then that little thing called chicken laying egg. You have to push the button and a little chicken lays an egg. And we started playing every night. We'd have our devotions together. We'd pray together. Man, one night we were laughing so hard. And Dinah just fell back on the floor. And she said, this is the most fun I've ever had in my life. And I could see God saying, do you understand? My covenant is a good covenant. It's a better covenant. And when I tell you to do something, do it. Because on the flip side of the unreasonable lies the unexpected blessings of life. Do we get it this morning? Do we get it this morning? I've had people tell me, I'll give you one hour a week, preacher. That's all you're getting. I don't care what you give me. I'm concerned about what you give him. Are you willing to lay it all before him? I got so many stories I could tell you. The bottom line is... When you enter into covenant, you enter on his terms. They're preset and you cannot change them. And he is Lord. It was unilateral. When he made the covenant, he said it. Now, has it got the good parts to it? Oh, my goodness, yes. We're saved by grace. We're saved eternally secure. We have all these things. But if we're going to live in the enjoyment of it, we've got to learn that the way we entered in is the way we continue to live. Yielded, surrendered to him. Proverbs says, a man is bound, I've been there and so have you, by the cords of his own sin. Whatever it is you're holding on to is the very thing that's binding you. And the Lord Jesus, so good, says, turn it loose. Turn it loose. Oh, man, I'm running out of time. Don't you hate to hide? Like they catch monkeys. They put candy in a jar. And they make the neck of the jar so small that when the monkey can put his hand in this way, but he can't pull it out this way. And the jar is chained to a ground. And the monkey comes and smells the candy, whoa, and sticks his hand in and grabs it. Tries to get it out, but he can't. To get it out, he's got to turn it loose. The monkey's imprisoned himself. 
because he won't turn loose of what he thinks he has to have. When you get into covenant, you're up under lordship, and he dictates our lifestyle. That's the accountability of what covenant brings into focus. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 